Well, welcome everybody to the Gary Wilkerson podcast. We're thrilled to have with us again uh, Pastor Sam Storms, uh, pastor of an amazing church in Oklahoma, uh, author of many great books, a well-known conference speaker, and uh, someone who just uh, I really love having him on our podcast because he's so rooted and tethered to the word, and that's such a great blessing to us. Sam, thank you for joining us once again. Welcome. Thanks, Gary. Good to be with you again. We, we, um, we, we, we've been looking at your book uh, on the spiritual gifts, uh, and that just came out a couple of weeks ago, huh? Yeah, September 1st. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to just dig right into this because this is such an important topic uh, in some quarters. In some places, it's, it's not at all controversial. It's just received and accepted. In other places, it's a little bit more controversial. But in all places, it's extremely important. I think that's why your book is important. That's why people should should get it, go right to to Amazon uh, or other your favorite uh, booksellers or probably through uh, Sam Storm's website, which is samstorms.org. Um, so, yeah, let me start with questions. Um, in your book, you cover uh, the argument that some people are, give that say the gifts have ceased today, the cessationism. Um, what, what is that? Um, can you describe it a little bit? Uh, and maybe, sure. Is there some scriptural, you know, where do they go to get scriptures that say the gifts have ceased for today? Yeah, cessationism, uh, it's important that people understand the word. It's not secessionism. We're not talking about what the South did in the 19th <laughs> century during the Civil War. They seceded from the Union. Cessationism related to the verb to cease. And it's the idea that certain gifts of the Spirit, particularly the more overtly miraculous gifts, what some would call revelatory gifts like prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and so on, uh, were only operative in the early years of the church, maybe operated for a mere 50 or 60 years uh, to kind of launch the church. Uh, and then um, it was withdrawn. It ceased to be given by the Spirit of God. I held that view for many years, about the first 15 years of my ministry. And uh, then I began to examine uh, the arguments that I had been given in theological seminary and um, I realized that the text that I had appealed to didn't say any such thing. Um, in fact, um, most cessationists, scholars today, will acknowledge that there's no explicit text in the New Testament that indicates these gifts have been withdrawn. Um, my good friend Tom Schreiner, uh, he, he and I, are, I love Tom dearly. Um, he teaches at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Tom is a what we might call a nuanced cessationist, um, and uh, Tom has admitted that there's no explicit text that definitively proves it. In fact, uh, he uh, looks to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a passage that many cessationists have used in the past, but very few do anymore, um, where... Uh, Paul says, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And yeah. years ago, cessationists used to say the perfect there is a reference to the canon of Scripture, the final 66 books of the Bible. Very few, if any, try to make that argument anymore. It just doesn't hold up. And I have a whole chapter in my book uh, unpacking 1 Corinthians 13. And even Thomas said that if there's one text that seems to prove the ongoing continuation of all gifts, it is this one, because the perfect is very clearly a reference to the state of affairs that will come to pass when Jesus returns. Uh, he goes on to describe this in, in the next couple of verses. We see in a mirror dimly now, but then when? 
when the perfect comes, we'll see face to face. Now, in this present age, I know in part, then when, when the perfect comes, I shall know fully even as I've been fully known. And uh, most acknowledge that Paul's talking about the state of affairs brought about by the second coming. The perfect isn't the second coming. It's that state of consummation that comes about as a result of Christ's return. And so this passage seems to, to me to very clearly indicate that these gifts are operative until then. And of course, there are numerous other texts that are bandied about in this debate, and I go into all of those um, in my book. Um, one of the arguments that um, I think the, probably the two most frequently cited arguments by cessationists are first, uh, church history. They say, well, didn't the gifts disappear from the history of the church? And the answer to that is absolutely not. I have a whole chapter in the book in which I, I have I documented from original sources all through the first five, 600 years of the church, um, how these gifts were operative and present, uh, even beyond that period as well. And then the second argument is that they say, well, wait a minute, if, if the Spirit of God is still speaking, like through prophecy or word of knowledge, um, doesn't that undermine the finality and the sufficiency of Scripture? And the answer to that is no, it doesn't, because uh, the kind of revelatory disclosures the Spirit makes to us that form the basis for the gift of prophecy are not infallible declarations that are binding on the conscience of all Christians everywhere. That's what the Bible does. They are simply uh, ways in which the Spirit enables us to apply the truths of Scripture and to provide encouragement and guidance to people in the present day. Um, so again, I, it's precisely because I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture that I believe in the ongoing validity of revelatory gifts, because it's in the all-sufficient Scriptures that I am told to earnestly desire to prophesy. Um, you know, if believing in the sufficiency of Scripture means that you believe the Bible tells you everything to do that is essential for Christian living, and warns you about things to avoid that might be a threat or a danger. Well, when it comes to these gifts, the only thing the Bible says is earnestly desire them, pursue them. Nowhere does it say, hey, be careful. These kinds of gifts uh, would, would ultimately undermine and threaten the authority of God's word. You don't have a syllable to that effect in the New Testament. So I, you know, I used to be a cessationist. Man, that was, that was 32 years ago. 31 years ago, uh, when I came to believe in the validity of all the gifts today. Yeah. It does seem to me that, uh, this is just anecdotal, but it does seem to me that a lot of young leaders, you know, maybe they grew up like I did in a, in a kind of Pentecostal charismatic background, then they go off to seminary, and because the, because the, the truth of the Reformed doctrines, so they become Reformed, but then oftentimes attached to the Reformed doctrine is the, 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 the gifts have ceased today. And so many of my friends, some of them worked on my staff at a church I used to pastor, uh, went off to seminary, and uh, you know we funded that, and four years later found out that they no longer believe the gifts are, are functioning. Um, you know, so there, there's this tension, it seems to me, between the Reformed theology and the charismatic Pentecostal uh, uh, belief. Uh, you're, you're one of the few I know of that... Um, Kind of hold to both. You know, you're, you're, you believe in the gifts and you're charismatic, but yet you're reformed as well. Mm -hmm. uh, why, why do you think the reformed movement seems to be, in some senses, kind of anti-charismatic? Oh wow, that's a that's a deep question. Um, 
I think there are a couple of reasons. I think one is because uh, people who embrace uh, the principles of the Reformation, Reformed theology, and a more Calvinistic view of the Christ, of, of biblical truth are so very, very rooted in the word and so deeply doctrinal in their orientation that sometimes they tend to be a little suspicious of experience and emotion. And they look on the charismatic world at large and they see fanaticism and excess and sometimes people um, not remaining tethered to the word of God and maybe elevating um, inner subjective impressions above and beyond the written text of scripture, which of course I'm adamantly opposed to. We, we Anything that God might communicate to us now has to be rooted in his word, has to be consistent with what we see in scripture. So I think kind of the more intellectual doctrinal orientation of reformed people has made them a little bit more suspicious of the experience-based uh, re- uh, expression of Christian living that you see in oftentimes many Pentecostal and charismatic churches. Um, I think also there is, um, there is, to put it bluntly, there's a fear of fanaticism. You know, we all of us know what that means. We see it uh, on TV. We see it in certain so-called evangelists and people on the internet who, um, who are manipulative in their ministry styles um, and who are uh, basically in it for money and who fabricate uh, alleged supernatural phenomena for the sake of maintaining an audience and a following. And um, that is very offensive to people. In the, it should be offensive to all Christians, but it's especially offensive to those in the Reformed faith. And again, then I think one other uh, that I already mentioned is people in the Reformed world are so very much um, committed to and convinced by the sufficiency of Scripture that they think that rules out the ongoing operation of revelatory gifts in our day, which I'm convinced, and I have a section of my book in which I address this, and just that's just not the case. So there are probably other uh, there are probably other factors, but I, again, I think it's largely, oh, oh, well, one other thing. Um, Reformed people, obviously, have a very high view of God's sovereignty. And so they kind of fall into this mentality of, well, if God wanted us to have these gifts, then he'll give them whether or not we pray for them, whether or not we seek them, whether or not we cultivate an atmosphere in the church where they can flourish. Um, and I think sometimes that high emphasis on the sovereignty of God undermines um, our human responsibility and the fervency of prayer and seeking God for greater manifestations of his power. Um, so those are just some of the factors I think that play into that. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> I think the hard part for me in, on, on this subject is, and please correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of the craziness that happens in the churches, the, some of the stuff you just mentioned, see, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to be happening more in charismatic churches than it does like in the Baptist or Presbyterian. I mean, you know, you got your liberalism and, and that's way off base and some of those, the, some of the older deadline mainline churches. But to me, it seems like, you know, most of the craziness, the, the hyper faith and prosperity, the word of faith, the name it, claim it, uh, the, the, the strange manifestations in, in what are called revivals, that all seems to be happening in the charismatic church. And sometimes I wonder if that's why, um, you know, people maybe throw out the baby with the bathwater a little bit. They yeah. say like, well, if that's what, you know, 
the charisma gifts are like, then maybe I, you know, I don't want to be a part of that. It's kind of scary or frightening for somebody who's not been around it a lot. Um, I, you know, so I mean, I, I want to see the gifts. I want to see the gifts thrive in, in churches and in people's in individual Christians' lives, but I also want them to avoid, you know, kind of some of the craziness. Uh, you know, I, I was yep. I was interviewing somebody recently, and he, and he said, you know, we're talking about the faith and prosperity movement, and he said, not not every charismatic is into the faith and prosperity movement, but every faith and prosperity preacher is a charismatic. And I think he was right. I said, I, I can't think of one sort of hyper faith preacher that's not charismatic. So, yeah. well, this is. Honestly, this is what makes it a challenge and difficult for someone like me. Um, I am charismatic. I mean, I, I pray in tongues on a daily basis. Uh, I believe in, uh, we pray for the sick. I believe in the operation of all the gifts. But I am as adamantly opposed to the word of faith and health and wealth gospel as any of my reformed cessationist brothers and sisters are. Um, and so, yeah, there are, you know, again, it, if we had time, if we said, all right, let's talk about some of the extremes and some of the errors that are in the hyper-fundamentalist cessationist churches, talk about the legalism that is present there, yeah. talk about sometimes the end-time hysteria that is associated with certain expressions of dispensationalism. Um, some, you know, there are, um, there are abuses and excesses of all sorts in every church and every wing of the Christian family. Um, yes, there are undoubtedly excesses within uh, the charismatic world, but I, I, this is very important. I want to make it very clear that people hear me when I say this. Um, I had to deal with this issue early on. I can still remember, it's probably 30 years ago when I was first coming into an understanding of the gifts and beginning to move and operate in them. And I saw one of these horrific, ex manipulative, excessive, hyper-sensationalist individuals on TV, supposedly praying for the sick and prophesying. And I was so offended by it. I remember turning off the television and, and saying to the Lord, I was sitting there by myself when it happened. I said, God, if, if that's what it means for me to embrace the gifts of the Spirit, I don't, I'm not going there. <laughs> and I I don't want to say that the Lord spoke to me, but I really felt pushed back from the Spirit of God to the effect that why, Sam, why would you justify your disobedience to Scripture because somebody else has abused it? Mm, mm, uh, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it led me to formulate what I call the 11th commandment, which is thou shalt not do at all what others do poorly. And we abide by that commandment. We see somebody do something poorly. We see somebody taking uh, something to extreme and to an excess. And we say, ah, well, then I'm not going to do it at all. I'm not going anywhere near that kind of uh, expression of Christian living and ministry. Well, I, I kind of committed at that time. I don't want to say I made a vow to God, but in essence, I did. And I've kept it by God's grace all these years. I said, Lord, by your grace, I will never justify disobeying your word simply because somebody else has made a fool of themselves or abused the gifts or made a mess of things because uh, they did it badly. I'm going to remain faithful and obey your word, even though there are a lot of people out there, and we've mentioned the movements, who have uh, really brought reproach in the name of Christ. Um, that's tragic. It grieves me when that happens. But I'm not going to let those people dictate whether or not 
I believe and obey everything in Scripture. Mm, that's I got uh, to preach in there. I'm sorry, I'm no, got, got me going. <laughs> I'm so glad you did that. So that was really powerful. I think that's a a great takeaway for us. And uh, uh, again, just a short little break. I want to encourage people that are listening to uh, to get uh, Sam's uh, new book on on the gifts. Uh, uh, I have the book, but it's not in front of me right now. What's the title again? Right here. There it is. Understanding Spiritual Gifts: A Comprehensive Guide by Sam Storms. Um, that's a big one. It's about yeah. three. 300- pages so. i have mine on my uh i just i just bought mine on my phone so i had I, I wasn't sure of the length you know that's the problem with not buying a i like buying my books uh paper or hardback because you kind of know what you're getting into where if you buy it on your on your app uh, on your phone or your computer you, you, you you're kind of caught off guard you keep going and it's uh but well then, you can even get it on audible you know you can uh, if you want to listen to it uh that way, rather than read the hard copy, I I, I kind of prefer having a book in my hand that I can underline and mark on and whatever. But yeah, yeah it's uh, I'm old school like it's, that. It, it's I'm probably kidding. it's probably my final uh, word on this issue. I've written several things and smaller expressions on this subject, but this one is probably going to be the the final uh, final book that I've written on this topic. Well, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you did it. Uh, tell us maybe last question for you. Here. Uh, what compelled you to to write the book? You've written some other smaller <clears throat> ones. The the comprehensive nature of this book. Um, what was the the feeling behind it? Um, first of all, because I want to uh, address what we've just been talking about. Um, the extremes. The you know I, I think people have such a misunderstanding of what the New Testament actually says about the work of the Spirit. And I hope by trying to give what I believe is a biblically faithful exposition and explanation of what the Bible teaches on this subject, that it will bring some measure of correction to the errors and to the, uh, uh, the kind of the, those movements, those individuals who, who really have distorted and uh, what the word of God says, sometimes for their own personal gain. So I hope it's a corrective in that regard. But then also, um, I just get, I can't imagine the number of requests and questions and say, you know, what do I believe about this? Is this a valid experience of the Spirit? Is this consistent with the Word of God? And it was a, uh, my desire to try to provide a final comprehensive uh, treatment of these issues and answer the questions that pastors and regular Christian folk have with regard to the work of the Spirit. Um, plus, you know, thirdly, it's been such a vital part of my own life and ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, it means so much to me. It's so much a part of our life at Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City that uh, I just wanted to be able to share it with the broader body of Christ. Yeah, well, it's, uh, the, the portion I've read so far, I would highly recommend anybody listening to us today get the book immediately and begin reading it. Um, it reminded me when I first started reading it of a little story. I think it was Wesley told a story. He was, he was preaching somewhere and uh, came out after the service and he saw this drunk man uh, and he got on his horse and he fell off one side. And then he got back up on the horse and fell off the other side. And he, t- he was talking about doctrine, how we tend to, you know, move from one, you know, we fall off on one side or the other. And I think your book would be a great tool to keep us, again, tethered to the Word of God, uh, but to the Spirit of God as well, that, that you don't fall off into believing the gifts of cease. I think somebody reading this book and, you're, and, and you've been sort of uh, captivated by that notion that, you know, maybe to, to be reformed in my theology, I have to now... Uh, uh, untether myself from the gifts mm-hmm. uh, on the other hand then the excesses that happen in the charismatic movement that uh, 
that 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 need. Um, and I'm so glad you said that. It's not that that really helped me, encourage me. It's not just the charismatic church that has some problems to deal with or excesses. That 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 was really insightful to me. But uh, so I, I think this book will be a great insightful uh, and a journey, uh, and I think a tool too. You keep you kind of keep in your library to if you have questions about things, because I mean, I have a hundred other questions. I don't have the time, don't have the time for it today, but uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of uh, questions about tongues and interpretation and how all that works sure. in the local church. But uh, if you're ever available for a, a second round, I sure would uh, appreciate you bet. it. Anytime. <laughs> all right. Sam, thank you so much. God bless you. And uh, you have a wonderful day and uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. All right. Look forward to it. Just let me know when and where, and I'll be there. Thanks buddy. Bye-bye now. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.